Okay, guys, so this morning I'm really, really excited because we're live streaming from a home for the first time. So I don't know, Charlie, if you can show people watching the home, but this is where we are. This is where we're live streaming from. We actually have... That's all right. So maybe, uh, maybe this morning you're signing in with your group. Uh, if you're watching this and you're not with us, uh, welcome. If you're from not in a group and you're watching with your family or you're watching at home or something like that, I want to say welcome to you as well. Maybe you're signing in from overseas. I know there's guys been watching in Wales and the US and all over the place. It's awesome to have you as well. And if you just come across this video by surprise or on YouTube or something this morning, I want to just say God wants to speak to you. And I want to ask that um, you'd have an open heart to him this morning. Uh, I'm so excited because after months, literally months of thinking about Ephesians, uh, we've been praying about Ephesians. There's a group of one hopers, preachers and thinkers who've come together and we've been talking about Ephesians and discussing it and arguing over which parts of it we're going to preach. Die lang verwachte dag het aangebreek. Today is the day that finally we get to start preaching on Ephesians. Right, And God has spoken to us about it for this time, for this people, for you guys, for this congregation. It feels like God is putting Ephesians on our hearts, and I can't wait. The way we're going to do it is actually in five parts. So we've got five little mini-series, which are going to run probably through to next year, March, but with lots of gaps in between, all right? So that's why we're doing it in mini-series, that you don't get bored of Ephesians. I would hate us to leave Ephesians and go like, oh, not again. So we're just going to do eight weeks now in our first mini-series, Ephesians 1, verse 1 through to 2.22. It's easy, 1, 1, 2, 2, 2. That's what we're going to do in this first one, and this series is called In Christ. We're going to be speaking about identity. Oh man, guys, there's so much going on in this eight-week series. We're going to speak vision, we're going to speak life and encouragement, but if you lean in to this series, God is going to do profound things. He really is. I'm, I'm confident in the Holy Spirit as I've prayed that there's going to be people in this room, people watching that are going to have watershed faith moments in their life, like change moments in their life as we study Ephesians together. I know this group that I'm mostly that I'm sitting with this morning, you've been studying Ephesians for, I don't know how long, five years? How long do you do it, Seekat? Like since the beginning of the year. Um, I, I feel a confidence in the Spirit that many will find new identity. People struggling with their identity, with sexual identity, with all sorts of, of different things going on. God wants to speak to us. There's a whole section we're going to do at the end of this year around relationships. And I feel that God wants to restore broken relationships. So this is a, a powerful, practical series. So I want to ask you, are you in? Yeah. Come on, I am. So this morning, I'm actually not going to speak from Ephesians. And I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm speaking about the birth of the Ephesian church, which we find in Acts chapter 18. So turn there with me. And what we're going to speak about, I've called this morning, when Jesus comes to town. What happens when Jesus comes into a town? So as we begin this series, I want to just ground us in the reality of the Bible again. All right? Because if you're a little bit like me, we tend to forget that, that Ephesus... The book that Ephesians was written to was an actual town, right? Somewhere someone is putting up slides, I think, and you'll see a Google picture of where it is on today's modern map. 
Right? There's, there's an actual town of Ephesus. They're actual people who bled, people who sweated and toiled in real jobs, people who sought life meaning and purpose, people who fell in love, people who experienced unrequited love, people who tasted life's wonderful wine and life's bitter cup. These are everyday people who faced sin and hope and hopelessness, pursued passions, pursued pleasures, raised families, went to a theater. So you guys in the room can't see it because you don't have a PowerPoint. But those of you online, hopefully right now, you're seeing an incredible 25,000 person seater. That's a historic from this date in, in Romans. More specifically, so that's who these people are. But more specifically, Ephesians, the book to the Ephesus town, was written to those who followed Christ in this town of Ephesus around the year AD 62. So 62 years after Christ came. Now, like I said, I'm guilty just like you of reading scripture in a vacuum of forgetting the realness of all of it. And so I want to tell you about a man called Paul who wrote this book. And he's another actual living, breathing person. Paul followed Jesus for 32 years from what we can tell of his life. He was alive for 62 to 65 years. So almost exactly half of his life, he followed Jesus. It dates him, if you think about the date, AD 64, when Paul died at around the age of 65, it dates him to being born at exactly the same time as Jesus. So he was born, lived with Jesus alongside in some way, another would have heard about Jesus. But from the age of 20 to 30, what we know is that he studied under a Pharisee called Gamaliel, who was a very famous um, teacher of the law. And somewhere as well, he studied to be an apprentice, leather maker, tent maker. We see that he was an accomplished artisan with his hands. And between the age of 20 to 30, that's what he was doing. At the age of 30, he begins to relentlessly persecute the way, which was the name that was given to Christianity today was the way, those who followed Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And he did that for three years solid, persecuting the church. At the age of 33, anyone in the room that's around that age, 33 years old, anyone going to put their hands up? <laughs> yes, yes, Loretta, I see that hand <laughs> over there. At the age of 33, he has what even in, in, in our normal language now, we'd refer to as a domestic, Damascus Road experience. But this is the actual Damascus Road experience. Jesus appears to him. He comes to faith. God calls him to preach. And from that moment, for the next 32 years, roughly, these are roundabouts, roughly he preaches God's word, ministering before being beheaded by Emperor Nero in AD 64. Do you remember the great, great Roman fire? And there's a lot of historic uh, kind of questions around this. And Nero was implicated potentially in having started it because he was upset about some stuff going on in the Senate. And he tried to bypass them. They wouldn't let him rebuild Rome. And he wanted to rebuild Rome. So there's stuff that was said that maybe he did it. But this is what history.com says. Legend has long blamed Nero for a couple of reasons. Nero did not like the aesthetics of the city and used the devastation of the fire in order to change much of it and institute new building codes throughout the city. Nero also used the fire to clamp down on the growing influence of Christians in Rome. He arrested, tortured, and executed hundreds of Christians on the pretext that they had started the fire. This is where Paul died. He was beheaded. This is where Peter, another great in the early church, was crucified upside down. It was in these years 
and the Emperor Nero. This is where Christians were literally dipped in tar and set alight along the streets as street lamps as people were going to the Colosseum to watch more Christians being killed in the Colosseum. This is not Christian history. This is, his, this is secular recorded history of what happened in this era. But I'm getting ahead of myself. At the age of 51 to 55, Paul visits Ephesus for the first time, this town that we're talking about, and it's on his third missionary journey, and he ends up spending three years in the town of Ephesus. From what I can see, it's the longest that he spent, confirmed, that he spent in any single town. We can talk about why he did that in a moment. And then from age 57 to 65, which is the last eight years of his life, Paul was in prison for those eight years for five of them. So all his prison years were actually in the last eight years of his life. But from prison, he wrote Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, 1 Titus, 2, Timoth 2 Titus, and Ephesians. So thank God for prison. And the eight years that Paul had at the end of his life. Amazing, eh? Doesn't it just help us ground this in our lives and real people and real men and women of, who faithfully served God? So Ephesians actually was written 10 years after Paul first came to the town of Ephesus. So when he first came to Ephesus in Acts chapter 18, where we're going in a moment, this is 10 years later. What about the city of Ephesus? What was that like? Well, I told you Paul spent three years there, which is more than any other confirmed time in a single city, because this was an incredibly important trade city. It was the ancient Greek city for trading center in that whole region. It was strategic. It was influential. Um, and there's Listen to this, there's 250 to 500,000 people estimated in the city of Ephesus at this time. 500,000 people in this city. Stellenbosch in the last, uh, the last census was 75,000. So that gives you an idea. I already told you the 25,000 seater amphitheater and then it was a massive religious center. So the, the biggest one was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was the temple to Diana or Artemis. It was, a, it was one of the wonders of the world, but it was also like a melting pot for every religion you could think of. If you had a religion, you needed a headquarter in Ephesus. That was the place to have your, your Starbucks headquarters. That was where you went. So that's the city. That's a little bit about Paul. But really, really, really what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about being grounded in the truth of what can really happen in a town when Jesus comes into that town. When the message of Jesus first breaks into a town, what does it look like on the ground? What, was it, what would it have been like to be in Ephesus? You've never heard of this name Jesus and suddenly people are talking about this crazy guy who's come and he's talking to people and he's meeting in the lecture hall and they're, they're talking about Jesus all the time and what is going on? What's this new religion? What does it feel like in Papua New Guinea to hear it for the first time? Or there's this new family that have joined us called the Kearns who've spent I think the last decade in Mozambique and on their hearts they're sharing with us that they have a heart for unreached people groups. What's it like for those groups to hear the name of Jesus for the first time? What changes in that town before Jesus? What's it like? What does it feel like after Jesus? What happens? What does it feel like? And that's really where I want to spend our time this morning. So let's get to the Word of God and let's read Acts chapter 18 verse 19. So Paul is traveling with 
a group of people, as he pretty much always does. And we know for definite that Priscilla and Aquila, this amazing New Testament couple, are with them. These guys are inspirational. They host people in their homes all the time. They're just a quiet background kind of couple. But the church, wherever the church seems to go, you find Priscilla and Aquila close behind. So they're on a journey with Paul coming from Corinth where he's just spent 18 months to two years in Corinth. And now he's on his way and it says they stopped, verse 19, first at the port of Ephesus where Paul left the others behind. While he was there, he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. It's the first time that Ephesus is hearing the name of Jesus Christ. Right here in Acts 18, 19. They asked him to stay longer, but he declined. As he left, however, he said, I will come back later, God willing. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Very first encounter with Jesus. Go down to verse 24. So while God is busy moving Paul off to another place for a moment and then bringing him back to Ephesus, God's engineering at a man out of Egypt called Apollos is coming to Ephesus with the word of God as well. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, an eloquent speaker who knew the scriptures well, had arrived in Ephesus from Alexandria in Egypt. He had been taught the way of the Lord, and he taught others about Jesus with an enthusiastic spirit. Other versions say with great zeal. This is like your, your Pentecostal preacher. It's the loud guy. It's Paul goes and he's, he's reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. Apollos comes and he's like bombastic and loud and he's, he's your charismatic guy going for it. He, but he, he taught the word of God with enthusiastic spirit and with accuracy. However, he knew only about John's baptism. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him preaching boldly in the synagogue, they took him aside and explained the way of God even more accurately to him. All right, And then Apollo goes off and he feels, he says to the church, I feel like God's called me somewhere else. They send him with blessing. And then we go to chapter 19 and Rosanna is going to come and read this text for us. Acts chapter 19 verse 1 to 22 and we're in the NLT version. Thank you. Okay, Acts chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you receive or experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. There were about twelve men in all. Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took the believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the way of the Lord. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but who are you? Hmm. 
Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus, the Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. Afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia before going to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia, while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. Thank you. What a profound piece of scripture, right? And this is what I'm aiming at with the big idea today, is that God's message comes with power, and it has powerful effect to change our lives. I'm going to say it again. God's message comes with power and it has powerful effect to change our lives. Maddie Ray, won't you come and just pray for us as we hear God's word this morning? It should be on. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning so secure in your love which was revealed through Christ and we thank you that we can meet together as a community as you intended Father and just hear about your word. Thank you for Paul and how he's going to explain and expound the truth that you intended to come from the word and we pray that that would be what's, what's spoken to us and that you'd soften our hearts so the truth may settle and grow roots and yeah, just show itself uh, through the weeks and months ahead Father. We pray these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Right, guys, I'm hoping to be 25 minutes from this point, all right? So that's, that's how long you need to bear with me this morning. But the big idea is God's message comes with power and is powerfully effective to change our lives. And those three parts of that sentence are going to be just the three points that I want to make from this text this morning. So when you, when you read Acts chapter 18, 19, and 20, the birth of this Ephesian church in Ephesus, there's kind of a whole bunch of parts to the message getting across to them, right? So part one is in 18 verse 19, where Paul says he comes and he reasons with them in the synagogue. They ask him to stay. He says, no, I can't, but hopefully I'll come back later. Then we see this guy, Apollos, coming in. And this is part two of God bringing the message of Jesus Christ into this town of Ephesus. And it says he was eloquent. eloquent. He was well taught. He was, you shouldn't stumble when you're saying eloquent. It's not very eloquent. <laughs> Uh, enthusiastic spirit, zeal, accuracy, boldly it says. Later on it says he refuted the Jews with public debate and powerful arguments. This firebrand of a preacher. We see part three, Priscilla and Aquila going to him and saying, Hey, listen, you haven't got the message fully. I just love that they don't go, You're not preaching God's word. We're going to preach it instead. Or we're not going to come to your church. Instead, they actually just graciously take the guy aside and say, Hey, listen, you've only got part of it. I want to, let's explain the whole thing to you. Part four is Paul when he comes and he finds, who do you think those, those 12 guys are that Paul finds? It's exactly the same. It says exactly the same thing about them as about Apollo. It says Apollo only knew the baptism of John. And then it says Paul asks him, well, which baptism did you receive? And he says, well, the baptism of John. So who do you think taught those oaks? 
Apollos taught them, but he forgot to go back and close the loop after Aquila and Priscilla had taught them more fully. So Paul finds these guys on the outskirts of Ephesus, and he says to them, hey, you haven't got the whole picture. So Paul brings more of the message of Jesus Christ to these guys, lays hands on them, baptizes them in the name of Jesus. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Part 5, Paul goes to the synagogue again, to that same synagogue you went to earlier, and he begins to preach for three months. He preaches, that's once a week. He's preaching every, every day, every once a week in those synagogues, preaching boldly, it says, arguing persuasively. But that some guys believe him, so there's this, this early forming church, some of these new believers. But then part six, he, he leaves the synagogue and he goes into the lecture hall. And for two years, it says every day. Imagine what it must have been like to go in there. And it says actually that the whole of Asia Minor and all the surrounds heard the name of the Lord in those two years. Because this is a major trade center. So as people would be coming through, they'd hear, oh, there's this dude who's busy talking all day long in the lecture hall. They'd go to the lecture hall, they'd hear a bit off, they'd go back to their town. They'd come back maybe next month or two months' time, etc. And then part seven, we haven't read yet, is in chapter 20. Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. We'll get there just now. And he says to them, guys, I publicly proclaimed Jesus' name in Ephesus, but I also did it in your homes with you. And so even in the little small spaces, Paul was bringing this message, this message, this message of Jesus. And then in between the message, if we go and read this text we just looked at and a bit around the text, there's crazy miracles happening crazy miracles like just a handkerchief that the preacher like wiped his head with you know like these prosperity preachers and it just touches somebody somewhere somewhere else and it just gets healed it's incredible miracles demons are coming out of people by the hands of paul but then also by these guys who are trying to kind of make money it looks like on the side by casting out these demons these seven big men who get beaten up by one guy who's got a demon oaks get beaten up is happening like in between the message and then fear and reverence sweeps Ephesus for the name of Jesus. This fear and this reverence. And then there's this massive public thing that the whole town is talk talking about where they burn, I don't know how many books, but it must have been a lot of books. Guys, do you know that the, the original Greek text there says it was 50,000 silver, whatever they're called, like things, that units in that time. Each of those is worth a day rate. That was a day wage. One silver coin was worth so 50,000 of them. So if you work that out, take what's a South African day wage? Let's say 250 rand. And you multiply that out by 50,000. That's 12 and a half million rands worth of books in that one bonfire right there. Imagine the believers standing there. Oh no, what are you, what are you doing? We could sell this, you know, we could put this on Ephesus Bay and we could sell this thing over here and we could like make, what are you doing burning all these books? And that's like a 250 rand. Imagine you took an actual living wage. And how much it would be worth. Then we haven't read it yet. But citywide riots break out. And more oaks get beaten. It's really amazing. Now what is this? What is this message? Why is it so important? Why is it so inflammatory? Go to Acts chapter 20 with me. Because we don't have to guess. Paul actually tells us what he taught. So go to Acts 20. 20. And Paul is now speaking to the Ephesian elders. So he's finished his three years now in Ephesus and he's reflecting on it with the elders and he's telling them what he did while he was with them. He says, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. Here's his message. 
the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 24. He says, My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is talking about his Damascus Road experience and God calling him. This is what his work is. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Skip down to verse 32. We're still asking the question, what is the message? What is this message that is so important and so inflammatory and so crazy that it turns this whole town upside down? Verse 32, he says, And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those that he has set apart for himself. So this is the shorthand of Paul's message. I never ever didn't tell you what you needed to hear. I had courage in every moment, whether it was a public moment, I went for it and I went for the jugular and I told you the truth. Whether it was in your life group or you invited me for a meal and I came into your home or you had church at home, I came in and I gave you God's truth. I went for it. He says this is his shorthand. If you were a Jew, I didn't come with a special message for you. Guys, this was so inflammatory for Paul to say this. The Jews were the chosen people. They were the, they were the, the racist elite of, the, of this nation. And Paul comes, I didn't have a special message for you. He says, I preached one message for all. Black, white, colored, kayamandi, dezalza. He says, I had one message for all of you. If you're unemployed and standing at the robots or you, Johann Rupert, there's one message of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. And he says, don't you just love God's ways? I just find it so beautiful when I read this in the Bible. And this is his core message. Repent from sin. Repent from sin. Turn to God. So stop doing what you're doing and then do something different. Turn to God. Find another way. Don't, so it's not just saying sorry, sorry, sorry. It's saying sorry and find something else to do. Turn to God. Have faith in Jesus. Not just believe. Don't just believe he existed. Even the demons, the Bible says, believe Jesus exists. That doesn't get them anywhere. It's not good enough to say, well, I believe he was an actual man who walked on the earth and I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. You've got to have faith that Jesus actually comes to change your heart and your life. Then Paul says, believe the message of grace. You can't make it on your own. You're not going to get there. You can't climb high enough up the ladder. And then he says, trust that he's going to build you up. Man, don't we, don't we need that like sanctification? How many of you feel like you just want to quit sometimes because you just look at yourself and you just say, I'm still just the same riddled full of sin person that I was when I came to Jesus. For me, it's been 35 years, 34 years I've been following Jesus. Longer than Paul. Isn't that crazy? I look at my life and I was like, look at this dude. What's wrong with me? And then he says, trust that what he is doing in your life is not to down here only. It's for eternal value. It's for eternal value. See, he says it there in verse 32. Give you an inheritance with those that he has set apart for himself. That's not a here inheritance. That's a there inheritance. Maybe you don't know Jesus today. Maybe you, you're watching. Maybe you, friends invited you. I don't know. I don't know where you, where you are in your group or why you're in your group. But you need to hear the same thing that Apollos and, a, and Priscilla and Aquila and Paul were preaching to the Ephesian church, to this church all the way back there. You need to hear exactly the same thing. Repent from your sin. Turn toward God. Have faith in Jesus. Maybe you do already know Christ, or maybe you're kind of a little bit on the early journey of following Christ. Maybe you really need to hear this today. Guys, we need to take sin seriously in our lives. 
I want to challenge you, believers, repent from your sin. Some of us are living crazy patterns of sin in our lives. Pornography, night after night, licentious living, lying like in our businesses, like just willy-nilly, like this, everything's just gray in our businesses. We terrible gossips, just everyone, we've got a reputation in our, in our class at university that when we open our mouth, we're going to tell you some juicy thing about somebody else. We need to stop, repent from sinning and turn to God. Take it seriously. Have faith in God. Believe the message of grace. We need to hear the Stellenbosch. We need to hear this again and again and again. Those of you who are brought up in Stellenbosch, those of you who are brought up in Afrikaans families, I find in particular, have this tendency toward legalism. Toward like, I've got to do it. My, I've got to behave. I've got to, I've got to be like all ready for church on a Sunday with my tie and everything's looking all right. Okay. And uh, what Paul is saying is the message of grace. It's a false story that you can come to God on your own merits. It's a lie. And trust that he's going to build you up. Trust that he's going to give you fresh perspective. Guys, how crazy is it that these people burn millions of rands, dollars, whatever you want, worth of books just in a, in a single moment? What is that? That's people who've been caught with something of, I have an e eternal inheritance. We've got so many stingy Christians running around. They haven't caught this. They haven't caught this fresh perspective of living generously. I'm just going to burn my books because God's going to care for me. I don't have to sell these millions of dollars worth of books. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. When we get it, this is the message. This is the message that's being proclaimed by all sorts of different people in this town. And we're asking the question, what happens when Jesus comes into a town? When the message of Jesus comes into a town. When we get it, we also get to go. We also get to go. This is not just Paul's message and Apollo's message and Aquila and Priscilla's message. This is our message. When Jesus comes into our hearts and the light of God comes and pushes into our darkness, then I want to ask you, your workplace, do they know? If it's our message to take now to the world, if it's us in our hands, what about your campus? Do they know or your school? What about the waiter who serves you wherever you are having your dinner or your breakfast? Do you have the courage to just sometimes say, can I tell you about Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? And, and they're going to look at you weird. What about your mountain biking buddies that you're riding with and you've been riding with them for 15 years, you know, because, well, Paul, you see, I'm just, I'm just building relationships. And guys, I'm all for building relationships, but I'm not for building relationships that we never have the courage to actually share the gospel with. Then you're just not, you're just a social club. That's what we are if we, if we do that. And years and years of relationship building, I want to encourage us. I'm not trying to shout at us. I want to encourage us and say, come on. Come on. This is the message that we carry. Have you heard this quote? Preach the gospel and if you need to use words. Have you heard that quote? What do you think of that quote? I hate it. I hate it with all my heart because it's the biggest load of nonsense if you can show me one place in scripture where it says teach the gospel but don't use your words it's like it's 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 completely crazy they came with a message and they didn't just live there and make tents and say well look at how nicely my business looks because i make tents for jesus you know, and, and give it like some Christian name. No, they came with a message. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'd love to just preach a whole sermon right there that God actually wants everybody to be saved. But how are they going to get saved? 
This is what he says. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? Right? Logical. And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And then he carries on. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go to them without being sent? Friends, this morning, I want to recommission you if you've forgotten this. You are the sent ones. I am the sent one. And then it says this. That is why scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers. We praise you, God, for the feet that brought us the good news. Have you stopped recently to think about why you follow Jesus? Have you stopped to think about the price that men and women paid so that your family, so that my family could follow Jesus? Have you stopped to think about the, the missionaries who came to our land? And I'm hearing a lot of colonial stuff which is being said and about, about our South Africa being colonized. And I don't, want to, I don't want to not acknowledge the weaknesses and I don't want to not acknowledge the mistakes that were made. And there were greedy missionaries among them. And we acknowledge those things. But don't swallow the lie that countries were better off before the missionaries came. It's not true. Don't swallow... The lies that the, that the missionaries were the first colonizers coming in to rape and pillage the country. You know, people say it like the missionaries with like a spit and a scalp. The missionaries. We, we, we never, ever have to apologize for something that was birthed in the heart of God. Where God said, I have a passion for these people that don't know me. And men and women, when God said go, said, yes, God, we will go. And they paid a price that is unbelievable. It's un we can't even begin to fathom when you go and read the stories of these men and women standing on ships and waving goodbye to families that they knew they would never see again. Do you know that many of these missionaries were called one-way missionaries? One-way missionaries because they, you know what they used for their suitcase? Their coffin. They literally packed the earthly belongings that they had in the coffin that they would be buried in and they went to these lands and their children were buried thousands and thousands of missionary children are buried in african soil on our continent thousands and thousands spent and loved and cared and used up their whole lives on our continent and thousands and millions of indigenous men and women were raised up disciples were raised up who have paid just as high a price for the gospel and the name of jesus in our continent. I want us to think about these things. And all of them came to bring one message. One message. Paul says it like this. The necessity of repenting from sin. Turning to God. And of having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. Don't despise them. Don't despise them. I'm not, sometimes I'm tone deaf. Robsy helps me a lot. I, I'm not trying to be tone deaf. Guys, but sometimes we need to just make sure that we're listening in the right way. It's not about being tone deaf. It's, it's just I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to the culture and the way that it's trying to reshape things. Actually, there's a higher voice. I'm listening to what God is saying. And God told these men and women, go. And these men and women went. And because of them, we sit Today, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
in South Africa. All right? We need to learn the message that Paul, Apollos, Priscilla, Aquila carried. We need to proclaim the message. Can I just encourage you as you're learning to do this, that you're going to do it wrong a lot of times, that you've got to learn that it's okay, that you've got to keep practicing, and someone's going to like get mad because you share the gospel terribly, and your family are going to say, oh, not this again. And you've got to learn, and you get better. But guys, with my real encouragement out of this section, we're talking about the message, is that we need to learn to leave our reputations with God. And say, Lord, you've given me a message and I'm going to carry this message. Look at what happened in Ephesus. Look at what happened when men and women carried the message. So we both are filled with and we fill Stellenbosch with the hope and life of Jesus. That's our, that's our commission. Let me ask you again, what happens? What does it look like when Jesus comes to town. Let me ask you one hopers, what would Stellenbosch look like if we took this message seriously and told everyone all the time, everywhere about Jesus? Okay, the second thing, we better move on. That's God's message. God's message comes with power. It comes with power. Did you notice how many times like there's power going on in this text, right? Hands are laid on people, the spirit is poured out unusual miracles i mean who who figured out that handkerchiefs and aprons from that had touched paul healed someone like just think through the the, the way that that happened like did paul just like preach and leave something and someone was like oh i can't get paul to come but let me just take this apron of his that he was doing his tent making his leather work with and let me take it to my mom who's dying and let's put it on her oh she got healed let's take his like how did people even figure that out you know he wasn't selling it on the internet like your holy water or virgin oil from israel diseases get get healed people are literally just healed from diseases it says it says demons were fleeing this is through paul through the hands of the apostle paul what happens when jesus comes to town what happens when people actually decide to trust jesus but you know what happens simultaneously is that darkness comes in as well with its power and darkness has a very real power but if you think about what paul was doing paul is going into a pioneering situation he's going into a place where occult abounds where where every headquarter for every religious kind of thing you can imagine is there in ephesus and paul is going there and he's kind of saying lord if you don't go with me if you don't send power with your message if you don't display your power i'm finished god I'm finished. I'm not going to have a chance in this town with some philosophy or some reason. It's never going to work. I have to have the power and I have to have the message together with these two things together. This is not just like, oh Lord, please can you help me find a parking space? Oh, thank you, Jesus. I found it. What power? Guys, we've got to, we've got to aim higher. Do something. Let me, let me give you a challenge. Do something that requires the power of God and then you will find the power of God. So many of us say we have no power in our lives. Well, what do you need empowering for? What are you actually doing that you need to say, God, if you don't come, this city will not change. If you don't come, this person won't come to know you. Jesus, if you don't come, this, this endeavor that you've told me about will never get off the ground. Some of us are asking for power, but we're doing nothing that requires power. And then we see this fascinating story with the sons of Sceva. 
these seven oaks getting beaten up by this one demon-possessed guy. I remember, I, guys, I grew up in a, in, a, in a Zulu church in KZN until I was 18 years old. And I have, seen, I have seen the spiritual side of darkness. I've seen a guy, literally one guy, pick up a tractor. And I'm talking a big tractor. The whole side of a tractor lifted off the ground. Seven oaks get beaten up by one guy, and they leave that place beaten and broken, and, fr- and from broken, and from the hospital bed, they're telling Oaks and Ephesus what happened. Right? Demonic power is real, and if you're new to faith, maybe even you're not new to faith, but you might never have heard this. Our world wants to insist that only things which you can touch and feel; those are the real things. Those are the real things. There aren't really any spirits. There certainly isn't a devil. I'm here to tell you this morning, surprise, surprise, Satan and darkness are real, are real in our everyday life. And this is such an important thing because this is a worldview thing. This is a worldview thing. The Western world is completely out of step here with the whole rest of the world. You go to any third world country and speak to them about demons, speak to them about oppression, speak to them about illness that is caused by these oppressions, speak to them about curses, and they will tell you, we know about it, we know what's going on. The Western world says, well, you know what, we want your diversity, we want you to come, in. all the universities, oh, let's be inclusive, let's be inclusive, but just, you know what, when it comes to the spiritual stuff, don't bring that stuff. Don't bring that stuff. That Your darkness, you, 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 we don't believe all that. We believe in only the real scientific stuff that we can measure and prove, right? Actually, we need to learn something here from the African culture because the African culture experience and believe this completely as part of their worldview. And it is powerful. It is powerful. Do you know this? There's 25,000 roughly doctors in South Africa. Take a guess. How many Sangomas? Ten times the amount. 250,000 Sangamas and witch doctors. How is that industry sustained? Why do people worship ancestors? Why do people dabble in the occult? Why do people, when they put their bands around their arms, having sacrificed to their ancestors to appease them? Because in some measure, it is powerful. And Christianity comes and Christianity affirms the reality of the darkness. And it says this is true. This is true. But it also says as real and as powerful as Satan and the demonic and the dark forces are, there is one who is greater. And this is where we begin to differ from every other system or worldview. Where Christianity says, no, we we recognize those things, but we have a God who is greater. But I'm concerned that the Western Christians don't even get to that point. They don't even think that anything's happening in the demonic realm or in the dark world. And, and while, as long as, you know, let me leave it there because I need to move on for, for time's sake, right? Friends, I'm telling you that if we begin to risk it for the kingdom, we will see clearly both sides of power. We will see the dark side of power. Let me just tell you a little personal experience from my last few weeks. I told you we've been praying and we've been thinking and we've been asking God about Ephesians. And I want to tell you that I have been under spiritual attack. And I don't say that lightly and I don't find a demon under every bush. And I feel even embarrassed to say that, which shows you how far western we are, that even our pastors don't want to admit that there's a a dark demonic side but if i tell you what my last few weeks we went on holiday and we needed a holiday and my little boy decided to go fishing with a truck strap off the back of a trailer and almost 
pulled the whole top of his one finger off. We had to come racing back from the Karoo four and a half hours. I think 40-something stitches in that little, in that little finger. What, what's going on? Why is that such a huge distraction? In the, in the middle of that, we... Go away, I'm not finished. In the middle of that... Some bizarre family stuff happens in our family, like some business things that we've been talking about. Just, just like a crazy, crazy scenario that just develops that there's just misunderstanding and confusion. And it, it creates a huge amount of sadness and angst for me, to be honest. For days, I didn't sleep properly. And I'm thinking, God, what is going on here? Why? This seems so obvious. But why are we just not able to communicate with one another? This last week, as I've been preparing this message, I've been in business for uh, eight or nine years. I had my own businesses, and now I've been in ministry for seven years, but I've always dealt with businesses. In all my years, I can remember one other scenario where I had something as bizarre as what happened to me with one of our contractors this week. It was like, it was like we were speaking, and there was like just complete mist. He was swearing at me, shouting at me. It, it was like just this craziness going on. On Thursday morning, I got up early and I was, went for a, a prayer walk with Ollie and we were walking around this neighborhood in Paradise Cliff and we were praying. And as I began to share with him what was going on, he just said to me, Paulo, this is spiritual attack. And oh, goodness, I haven't even thought about spiritual attack. Why would I be attacked spiritually when I'm preparing to <laughs> preach on Ephesians and I'm doing six of the next eight weeks in the pulpit? Why would the devil be going against me and my family? Man, but you know what? When I realized that and we began to pray and we spent an hour just, just praying and we actually just blessed that contractor. We just blessed him. We blessed his family and we blessed him. I'd already fired him the night before, but we just, <laughs> we just blessed him. We blessed him in the name of Jesus. But you know what it does? It actually makes me so excited because when we get attacked like this, it means that God wants to do something through what we're about to do. It's not the time now to quit. Now's the time to press through and come out the other side. Now let me tell you, what we prayed that day was we literally turned to Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For Now listen to this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I'm not wrestling against my family. I'm not wrestling against a contractor. I'm not wrestling against a truck strap on the back of a trailer in the Karoo. I'm not rest, wrestling against running down a hill on Friday. I didn't tell you about this part and spraining my ankle with my friends. And I didn't tell you about that. And, I, and that's a big deal for me. I literally cried because I was so frustrated because I've just recovered from having a really serious ankle injury last year. And I'm getting fit again. And I was like, Lord, why? It's not, I'm not wrestling against those things but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Ollie and I, we, we bless this guy. And later on that morning, I feel the Spirit prompt me to drop him a voice note. He has sent me vile insults. Guys, I'm telling you, minutes and minutes and minutes of these things. I send him a voice note and I say, just simply, this morning I prayed for you. I want to bless you in the name of Jesus. I want to bless your family, your children and your wife. God bless you. Maybe we'll see each other sometime. He sends me a four and a half minute long voice note back and it starts like this. Your message was beautiful. He says, I'm also a Christian. I was like, buddy, you must be a brand new one. <laughs> Honestly. And he says, but I'm so sorry. I've just, I've been hospitalized for anxiety. I'm under a huge amount of pressure after COVID. I'm so sorry. I lost my rag. He's doing the floors. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that now, you know. Sorry, go back, unwind. <laughs> the point, he's coming to finish his job. There's redemption. 
in the story. Because we don't just say, okay, we forgive you. We say, actually, we're going to give you another chance here. And he sent me another 10-minute voice note saying, I'm so sorry. And explaining what's going on. What are we doing here? We're not fighting against him. We're fighting against the principalities and the powers. And if we don't wake up, Western Christians, if we don't wake up and realize that there's a real enemy. I remember Ollie, Ollie preaching. You guys might remember this a little while ago. But Ollie was like, Christians are like people on a battlefield who are like, why is everybody shooting at me? Why is everyone taking shots at me? And we're clueless. The third and last point is this. God's message comes with power. Number one, God's message comes with power. Number three, is powerfully effective to change Ephesus, to change the lives of the Ephesian people, and to change you and me, and to change our time. Let's read in verse 17 of Acts chapter 19 again. Just go back. We've already read it. Let's read it again. This is what it says. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A solemn fear descended on the city. Remember, this is 250 to 500,000 people. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Verse 20. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect, is what it says in the NLT. Remember what we're talking about? What happens to a city when Jesus comes to town? What happens when the message of Jesus comes with people who have faith to believe that there's a darkness, but there's a stronger, greater power in Jesus, and Jesus wants to demonstrate his power? What happens to Stellenbosch? Well, I drew a picture of a pot. It won't be very helpful to show you, but... It's, it's there anyway. There's my picture of my pot. And I wrote pot. Because you can't really tell from my drawing. And I, wrote, and I wrote Stellenbosch. And I wrote your town. Whatever that pot is. And then in that town, I wrote God's message, God's power, and copycat power. Right? Those are the three elements that we've been talking about. And then I wrote at the top, like the whole thing, what he's busy cooking up is powerful effectiveness in our lives. God is using all these things, his message, the devil's power that he's trying to wield. And God says, ah, oh, you, you already lost, buddy. God's power, all of them in this melting pot having powerful effect. Look at what happens in, in this text when this fear spreads over all the, the, the reverence for the name of Jesus. Jesus' name is greatly honored. Then it says, many who were believers confessed. Are you guys still okay? Sorry, I know I'm going a little long. Sorry. Online there. Um, it says, where was I now? Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. So these are not the guys in Ephesus who haven't believed yet. These are you in the room. This is the life group that meets, right? These are the guys who are already believing and they suddenly realize, oh my goodness, God shines a light on their life. Christians. And they're going, I have a fresh fear for God. I want to confess the sinfulness that's going on in my heart. Can I tell you what I've been doing that no one knows about? Can I have a conversation and, and tell you? Because I want to get this thing out of my life. Verse 19, people's lives change. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery, it's interesting Christians, brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. People's lives actually change and it's publicly displayed. Just a little freebie here. If you haven't been baptized, this is a moment of obedience. Water baptized, where we say to publicly people around us, I'm changing. God has changed me. Verse 19 carries on and it says, 
Um, they burned these books at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars, and we spoke about that already. But when people really start to be changed by Jesus, you know, one of the signs is that they do radically stupid things sometimes. They do things, we call it radical Oh, what is Ollie? Ollie's got a beautiful phrase. He calls it that because I can't say it now. But he's not here. But people start to do radical things for God. And everyone else is saying, that's not very wise. That's not very good stewardship with your money. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this with your time. You shouldn't, shouldn't change careers now. You shouldn't start preaching instead of being a plumber. Hand up. Right? This is what they say. And God comes. People start to do radically Different things when God gets hold of their lives. And often it's public. And then people's perspectives completely change. When they burn these books worth millions of dollars. Their perspective. They've got no earthly perspective in that moment. They just know the Spirit of God has gripped the city. We want to honor Jesus. I realize that there's sin in my life. I have a fresh fear, reverence for God. I'm telling people about it. I want to change my life, man. I'm going to take everything that I can and I'm going to be radical. This is Jesus saying, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it out. It's radical. This is, this is radical Christianity. And you know, I want to just make a point here as well that we, we often tempted to only see, when we talk about these true, and I'm even guilty of doing it right now, but when we talk about something being truly effective in our lives, often we look for the dramatic outward miracle. You know, God is really using us when demons are fleeing and miracles are being done. Let me ask you this little question. Which is a greater miracle, casting out a demon or people burning books? Which is a greater miracle? Handkerchiefs and aprons that just someone's just touched, healing someone else in another place. Is that a greater miracle than the people in Ephesians where just a little line where it says, and some became disciples? And some heard the name of Jesus and followed Jesus? Is, isn't that the most beautiful, beautiful, incredible miracle that could happen? And yet we don't read that and think, wow, look at this miracle. Disciples. Look, look, look. Look, many disciples. We, we read and we go, look, handkerchiefs, aprons, look, demons coming out. Why is it not happening in the church? And it is a good question. And we should be asking, Lord, why, why do we not see more displays of power in the church? And I think a huge part is because the Western church wouldn't believe it even if there were. I think we see far more displays of power in African contexts, in third world contexts, where people don't hold these same kind of ideals around what's real and not. We see power there. I've seen people who are blind see. I've seen people who, there's literally a group of people at a conference I was at who were having sign language. They were all deaf sitting in the group. And while the preacher's preaching, there's a moment afterwards, the one guy just jumps up and starts screaming. He can hear. He can hear for the first time in his life. He doesn't have to sit in this little section where the guys are, are sign languaging to him. He can actually hear the name of Jesus and he just begins to shout out praise. These are real things. Can I ask you another question? Why didn't God heal my ankle? As I fell in the vineyard on Friday night, Clavi, one of my friends, got on his knees with me and I was in such pain and he began to pray over my ankle. And then I got up and I, I hobbled on his shoulder to a, another friend, brought another car around and I jumped in the car. Why didn't God heal my ankle? I was literally crying in frustration. I was so annoyed in that moment with this ankle. They'll just say it was my pain, you know. You know why God didn't heal my ankle? Because sometimes God has a bigger miracle in mind 
Sometimes God is working out what's effective for our lives, and He knows that actually I can deal with a sore ankle for six weeks, but what He really wants to, wants to get at is something underneath in my heart. Maybe I need to just learn to depend on some people a little bit more for a while. I'm about to move home. Now I'm like ankle and I can't do what I want to do and I'm not the kind of man man that I want to be. I need a little bit of humility coming in my life, right? I wonder sometimes if God doesn't look down and think knee, ankle, cancer, whatever it is, easy. Changing this bloke. That's a real miracle. Salvation to this person. Restoration of this relationship. Guys, we need to look for the miracles because we're only looking for a very small group of miracles. All right, I really need to finish. My other group is actually already starting. I have to go to another group. Um, Acts chapter 19. Ephesus, the city. What do we learn about what God wants to do in the city of Ephesus? What does it teach us about what God wants to do in our city? Ephesus, the city. Paul comes bringing a message. What does that mean about us filling Stellenbosch with the hope and the life of Jesus? Who carries the message? You carry it. I carry it. We carry it. What do we need to remember? That as we carry the message, there will be two kinds of power. The darkness is going to come against us. And it's going to, you know what the greatest darkness in our minds right now is, is the Western mind. That's the greatest power that the devil is wielding, I think, against us right now is that we don't even believe he exists that's the great power anyway the power of that but then the greater power of jesus don't be naive but don't be afraid yes it's a war yes bullets are flying everywhere but god's already said we have won lastly god works in this town in effectively changing us that's the big idea today god's message comes with power and is powerfully effective to change your life your mom's life your friend's life your fill in the dot 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 god's power and god's message wants to change them amen let me ask one final question what thing is jesus just in your heart right now putting his finger on that he's saying i want to bring powerful effect in your life i want to change this thing maybe it's something you've been going around a mountain for a long time so familiar lord i'm so sick of this sin i'm so sick of this part of my personality which is just broken for me i, I know immediately it's my impatience i'm a terribly impatient person it's not a good quality in a dad with five little kids in a small home it's noisy and i get impatient and i just sometimes i just feel like god has these moments where he just says it's time it's time I want to bring powerful effect to change in your life, all right? I want to ask this group. I'm going to leave now. Hopefully my wife and kids are already in the car there. Um, but I want to ask this group and the groups that are watching, and if you're watching on delay, won't you respond in prayer? Won't you spend a little bit of time praying for one another? Won't you take the communion elements together? Think about Jesus. Think about how he's enabled us to do this, how the, the gospel must go forth from us because Jesus was the one who came down from heaven. He was the first one to go. He was the first one to say yes. He was the first missionary who came to foreign shores. He was the first one who came and said, I will give my life. I will put my body in the ground here for you. I will shed my blood so that you will be my children. Just take communion together. And then someone in the group, close in prayer. Love you guys. Live stream over.